This is Live from the Table, recorded at the world-famous Comedy Cellar in New York's Greenwich Village, coming at you on Sirius XM 99 Raw Dog, and on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, Dan Natterman here. Gnome is with us via Zoom once again. COVID has struck the, dun, dun, Dwarman, dun. Household, the Dwarman household. Now it's his son that has it, so Gnome is once again in quarantine. Somehow Gnome has managed to uh, dodge the raindrops, if you will, and has yet to get COVID. We'll knock on wood. Hopefully he will continue to avoid it. I don't know how he's done it, but he has done it. He has successfully avoided COVID. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> of which, um, bless you. Hopefully, that's just an allergy. Um, Periel is with us. Periel, of course, you know who Periel is. She is Periel Ashenbrand. She is a our producer, and over the course of time, has become an on-air personality. It happens so gradually; nobody noticed or could really prevent it. <laughs> and here we are. And behind the scenes, Nicole Lyons is with us, the talented wizard of sound, Nicole Lyons. Ironically, she is a sound person who does not like to be heard. <laughs> Noam, how are you? Uh, just I'm, I'm fine. I feel fine. I, you know, I hope my son's all right. Uh, um, everything's everything's good. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 this summer. So that's, I feel that's like my best, days, my best days are behind me. Oh, my God. I, I really have to have to figure out something to do with the next. 15, well, hopefully 30 five. years, Noam, hopefully 30 years. Your mother's still in great shape. Um, yeah, my mother. My mother's doing good. She's uh, she's seventy nine. Um, I I well, I have a, I have a little news. Like I it I, I saw on the internet that um, I know you have something you want to talk about, but I saw on the internet that they the Guinness Book just certified the oldest dog on the planet as being twenty one years and sixty three days or something like that. Um, and it just so happens that I had a dog that was twenty two years old. Really. I had a dog that was 22 years old. It was undisputably 22 years old. We knew it was 22. The vet knew it was 22. Nobody ever told me I might have had the oldest dog on the planet at that time. I, I just I just can't believe I had a 22-year-old dog. And is the there anybody can verify this information? That I had a 22-year-old dog? Or is this like those, those guys like, you know, in, in Peru that swear that they're 160, but they don't have a birth certificate? Like the Georgians eating yogurt? No, um, yeah, we could verify it. I mean, I'm not going to go to the New York Animal Hospital or anything, but I just remember, we all remember Juanita and I compared memories at the time. We knew the dog, not only was the dog 22, but the mother, we had the, I'm sorry, she, she was the mother. We also had the daughter who lived to be almost 21, if not 21, they were, they were together. What kind of dog was this? Yorkshire Terrier. Well, I'll have to take your word for it. I really would need verification on that. That <laughs> sounds pretty incredible to me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, abso it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. The dog was 22 years old for sure. What was the dog's name? Uh, 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 Gigi, 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 yeah, like the French name, Gigi. Yeah, well, what's interesting is that the oldest woman of all time was French, uh, Jean Calment, who lived till 122 and died in 1997. So, yeah, but you know, Dan, that the oldest person in the world died today, yeah, what 119, uh, Connie Tanaka or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He was Japanese. Yeah. There are people that don't think that the 122-year-old French woman is legitimate. They think she might have been a fraud. Most people think she was legitimate. But because one of the reasons is, is no one's even made it to 120, let alone 122. So just the fact that she's not only broken the record, but smashed the record. So, so 
by so, so many so much time people think she's, it's, like, she's like that transgender swimmer i guess um <laughs> everything has to come back to transgenders with no no can we get because we we do have some other guests coming i do want to get to this very what i think is an interesting talking point is that uh is, Ariel shakes her head like i said something bad I'm just saying some records can be blown wide open go ahead dan go ahead um I was rejected from the Tonight Show. I haven't done a talk show in a long time. I used to get them fairly regularly back in the day. And I haven't done one in a while, but I wanted to do one just to promote my book. So um, I figured I'd, uh, I'd try to get the uh, Tonight Show uh, starring Jimmy Fallon. So I put together a set and I, I checked it with Pete Lee, who's done the show. And he's, he didn't like the set. He said, well, this isn't right for Fallon. It's a good set, but it's not right for Fallon. So I did another one. And then he said, oh, no, this is great. I'll send it along to Michael Cox, who's the booker at Jimmy Fallon. And um, I was optimistic. I was optimistic because although I haven't done one in a while, and although Michael Cox has not been receptive to me in the past, I figured with Pete Lee vouching for me, and it was, I thought, a pretty good set, uh, I would, I would uh, have luck. So I was optimistic, perhaps foolishly so. I don't know. Um, but he, and then I didn't hear back from him for a period of time. And so I said to Pete Lee, Pete Lee, did Michael Cox say anything to you? He, Pete Lee said, no, but you can check with him yourself. So I figured, well, I don't know if this is good, but anyway, I, I sent Michael Cox an email myself and I'll just read you the email chain. And you can tell me that, uh, whether I did anything wrong or whether I, you know, uh, how I responded was appropriate, but I just wrote, Michael, I believe Pete, Pete, Lee had, Pete Lee had sent you a five-minute set I recorded at the Comedy Cellar several weeks back. Pete thought the set would be great for The Tonight Show and was hoping you would agree. I was wondering if you looked at it yet. If you haven't enjoyed it, let's discuss a possible date. Of course, I can send you another set if there are any jokes you don't like, but Pete thought it was really good as is. Best Dan. Uh, to which he responded fairly quickly um, the same day. Hi, Dan. <clears throat> I knew, by the way, as soon as I read, hi, Dan, <clears throat> it was over. Um, you, you get very good at, at, as you, as you, as you advance in, in this business at knowing immediately when bad news is about to be <laughs> dropped on you by the, you know, if it was Dan, exclamation point, exclamation point, then I'd know, oh, I got the show. Hi, Dan, period. I know immediately I didn't get the show at that point. Thank you for following up. I really knew. I mean, if I didn't know what the hi, Dan, period, I knew with certitude after thank you for following up. Nobody would say thank you for following up if you if it was good news. Pete did send the set and I watched it. Well, if there was ever any doubt, <laughs> all doubt is now. I mean, even if there was even a, even a smidge of a doubt, that doubt is now evaporated, unfortunately. And of course, that's that's, you know, confirmation. It's a pass at this time. I have a handful of comics with approved sets waiting for dates that I currently do not have. Feel free to check back later in the year now. Perhaps the the uneducated might say, well, oh, he said check back later in the year. Uh, I know better. And I know that anybody that really had any interest in having me on the show would have said, great set, really like it. We're a bit tied up right now. Check back later. Let's get you on. Or something of that nature. This, to me, I mean, um, seemed to be a complete no without really wanting to say it no because nobody likes to say no i mean would you agree with that perio no you wouldn't okay no i you're, don't well you're wrong um okay i believe you're wrong with no and what do you think about that no i, th I think you're right then yeah uh, I, I think, think so that too. if there was ever any doubt having this conversation on air is the thing that's uh, putting the nail in the coffin well i mean well, I... Nail is, well perhaps but um i think it's interesting 
Read what he said again. He said, hi, Dan. Thank you for following up. Pete did send the set and I watched it. Unfortunately, it's a pass at this time. I have a handful of comics with approved dates waiting for dates that I do not currently have. Feel free to check back later in the year. Thanks, Michael Cox, stand up booker, The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon. Well, I mean, it's not a no, like he wouldn't look at another set or anything like that. For whatever reason, that particular set was not. Uh, well, you know. uh, yes, um, but he didn't say that either. But he doesn't have to. He said, but. No, he doesn't. But I have to interpret what he's saying because I need to know whether to check back later in the or try to get another show. I'd like to do the Fallon show if I have to choose. Well, I, but but there's other shows I could try to get. Yeah, you should try to get them. Now, I wrote back. Maybe all- maybe you would. Uh, Perry, you're going to object to this. You probably think I I, I, I I screwed things up. I don't believe so, but uh, you might think so, given what you've said. I wrote back. Happy to check back if you like the set and want to use me. If you don't anticipate using me, I'd rather focus elsewhere. Please advise. Now, you might find that a bit harsh. Perhaps it was. He wrote back, hi, Dan. You are welcome to focus elsewhere. (laughs) I mean, of course, when you put it that way, he's going to say that. You didn't really give him. I mean, it's not his job to encourage you to you know sit around and wait but i think no but if he wants me on the show if he thinks i'd be an asset for the show it's his job to pick comics that he thinks would be good so it's his job to tell me hey dan you know i really like the opening joke but the closing joke wasn't strong if you could send me another set with a great closing joke i think we could maybe you know do something here that's the kind of thing you would say if you had any intention of using somebody no but you gave him no choice because if you if he's if you if he says to you no don't check back elsewhere don't check elsewhere then he's really obligated to use you because you've because you you've 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 relied on him and passed up other opportunities so he has no choice but to say of course he could have said you know we would i do like the set but i don't want to i don't want to stop you from looking elsewhere you know he could have said something like well if you hadn't said that to him then i mean i think that you could have interpreted it like that he didn't have to say you're welcome to check back like he could have just said it's a pass at this time best take care but not but there was nothing about you know i really there were the you know the it it, it was it started off great it got a little weak toward the end. If you can maybe beef up the last joke or, right, or maybe he said, I like the last joke, but you didn't start off strong enough. You beef up the first joke. You're, it was just you're, you're making these things. But I'm making these things based on 20 years plus of experience with dealing with these people, not to mention common sense. Common sense is if you want to use somebody, you think there'd be an asset to the show. You say, here's what it is. I saw the set, you know, um, you didn't start off strong. You ended strong. But you didn't start off strong, or maybe the middle was soft. Or I didn't like this joke. It was we t- on the on the on the Tonight Show. We don't like jokes about blah 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 blah. Or there was a joke about COVID, and COVID might be stale by the time the joke gets on the air. Well, how about but okay. So, but but if you, if you cut that joke out and put in this joke, maybe we'll stop. Do- stop. Yeah, go ahead. How about just taking what he said at face value instead? You of- can't take anything in this business at face value. People don't talk straight in this business. It says everybody's full of shit. So you got to figure out what are they trying to say? Well, I think that he was. I don't know. I mean, I think. that. No. What is your best interpretation of the original email and what his intentions were? I mean, I and also it's like I've been around a while. I've been on a lot of shows. I mean, you're just going to tell me it's a pass at this time without anything. It's, you know, I mean, like without any like, oh, I really love the joke about this. Or I really love the joke, especially given the people that he's used. I don't want to mention names. There have been some good ones, obviously, but there have been ones. I mean, come on. 
Noam, your, your, your thoughts. Well, I mean, I know him a, the littlest of bit and he's always seemed to be a very nice, straightforward guy. And I think that he gets many, many of these uh, tapes all the time. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I don't, I have no idea how they perceive you, but he passed. And, um, but do you agree right. with me that it was a pretty, I mean, there, there's always a possibility he he meant what he said, but it's it's pretty. Uh, it was pretty well, okay. cut, I mean, cut and dry. I mean, I, 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 yeah, maybe you want to. I mean, I get what you're saying. I'm not gonna, uh, you know, just lie to you. Like if he if he thought you were like young and up and coming and uh, and a hot prospect uh, that he didn't want and he wanted, you know, he saw that you know this is a guy I'd like to have um, tied to the Tonight Show in the future rather than uh, Kimmel or whoever it is. That uh, let me let me work with him he might have done that instead he, he you're a known commodity and you know I, I don't even know how many comedians they use now and for whatever they reason use quite I, a bit they use quite a few i also didn't see your set but for whatever reason it, it wasn't his thing you know and um well i think I, I i you know he didn't have to write back that quickly he seemed like very no, friendly uh, stop and, trying to sugarcoat i'm sure he's I'm friendly not i'm not saying he's not friendly anything, i'm not saying it's not friendly i'm saying it was a no and i'm saying it's scandalous as far as I'm concerned to say no that abruptly, considering the people he's had on. I mean, OK, if you want to use young, hot, pe young people that are good looking or maybe he's got a few favorites that are older or they were really I think they were because Jimmy liked them, to be honest. I don't, but anyway, then say then. OK, fine. But I think it's scandalous to just toss somebody out, abruptly dismiss somebody that's 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 a longtime veteran that had that has superior jokes that are perfect for, if nothing else, talk shows. If nothing, if I'm good for nothing else, I'm good for those shows. Well, well, and to just say, no, okay, fine. All right, I'm too old or I'm too, I don't have enough Twitter followers. Okay, fine. Terrific. If that's what you're basing it on, great. But permit me to be upset and permit me to be scandalized and permit me to feel anger. Well, I, I'd like to thank you personally for declaring war on The Tonight Show on my show. I'm not declaring uh, war on The Tonight Show. Without, without, that would cause scandals without giving me a heads up, you know, because obviously- well, I uh, told you- We don't need to have any good relationship with The Tonight Show. <laughs> well, you, I, you, you really you don't, by the way. But um, I don't see how it helps you in any way, shape, or form. But I don't also see how I've declared war on the Tonight Show. Listen, I, 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 well, most, I, people, most people don't take kindly to being called scandalous and, uh, you know- I didn't say I say it is scandalous. It's scandalous. Listen to it me. is scandalous. Can you listen for a second? Your ego is ego, ego. It's just a, I, I mean, I'm not like I'm asking for a three picture deal. I'm asking for the, the, the smallest of things. And and I was dismissed completely out of hand. And I'm telling you, I now, now I didn't you read it like that. I don't. Well, you're wrong. OK, you're simply wrong on this on this count. I, I, you know, I, I, my interpretation of it is how it is. Okay. Um, anyhow, Nicole, you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, it's definitely frustrating not having any answers, but I feel like that's just how it is, right? Like, there's no, no, I have an answer. Well, yeah. The answer is go fuck yourself. That answer, but I mean, like you're saying, I wish I knew what I could change. No, 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 but, but, but no, I'm not saying, I'm saying I know that there's nothing I could change. He gave me the answer. He gave me all the information and I'm just not happy with the information. The information is as follows. I don't care what you send me. You're not getting on this show because you're perfect for it. <laughs> Godfather reference. Well, I thought Godfather Noam, reference. Yeah. I thought Noam would 
more appreciated. No, I. But I mean, no. Dan, your 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 okay. reaction is one way to go about it. Another way to go about it would be to have, um, you know, just send him another set. Entirely different. Yeah, but no, there's In no set. Months. There's no set I could send him that would convince him. It's clear. First of all, the set was very good. I mean, I watched Tonight Show. The people that do the Tonight Show. I mean, the, the set was more than good enough. It was probably at least twice the level it had to be to be on the Tonight Show. Okay, let and, me ask you this question. And the fact what, that what, is the de what is the demographic of people who watch the Tonight Show? Do you know that? Probably. I oh, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, that I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Uh, it's probably something you, you should know before you uh, to to understand where he. Well, might but I I do well on these shows. Did BET turn Did BET turn you down also? <laughs> I do well on these shows historically. I've done well on Letterman. I've done well on all these shows. Right. So, but I mean, just, you're telling me that everybody that watches this show is is I'm not. They're not going to laugh. No. You I'm know, it, it doesn't. I I really don't know. But if if the Tonight Show skews um. Young now, I don't even know. I don't well, know, but you know, but I would, but your your club skews young, Noam. But why don't you just not book me here? Because have you seen the people that come to your club? It they're all young people mostly, and they like Colin Quinn, and they like Jim Norton, who's older than I am, and they like any number of people that are older or as old as I am. So I just don't see the. Maybe you're right. You know, I, I hadn't thought of that, Dan. <laughs> okay, maybe well, maybe we should. <laughs> Maybe you should stop booking all of us. I think the Tonight Show skews um, trans. Well, oh, if that's the case. Then maybe, then maybe, uh, then maybe I, I don't belong on the show. Although I have my materials all trans friendly. Listen, um, I'm sorry, Dan. I, I mean, I. Well, I, you know, look. The fact of the matter is, is nobody's getting famous from these shows anyway. It's all about podcasts, and it's all about this other stuff. So, I, I mean. Really, as a practical matter, it doesn't make that huge a difference, but it just is insulting. And I was hoping to promote my book. And of course, you never know when you do a talk show who might be watching. Um, and it is always the possibility that, you know, that something could happen that's good. Uh, speaking of my book, Periel has read it. We have a couple more minutes before our main guests arrive. Periel has read it. She told me she loved it. I take her at her word, although I'm always like, because somebody's a friend of mine, I like to discount it. But she said she loved, loved it. She said loved twice. So I figured she probably at least loved it once. Discounting, uh, discounting uh, a little bit because she's my friend. But anyway, uh, Peril, if you have anything to add. I did love, love it twice, not once. If I only loved it once, I would have said I only loved it once. Okay. So uh, did, did she read did she read the corrected version where the where the, the few mistakes that I had I, found I don't know if she did or not. I forgot. Did I give it to you or did you buy it? You gave it to me. There were a couple of typos. Okay. So those have likely been corrected. I just the... thought that it was so wonderful. It was really one of my favorite books that I've read in the past 10 years. And granted, um, I used to read a lot more before I had uh, a child, but I it was really up there with like my favorite, like Jonathan Ames books. And well, very um, high praise indeed. I thank you for that. And and it's because of that compliment that I didn't go completely crazy after my Tonight Show uh, rejection because I had <laughs> I was fortified by Periel's good oh, words. Oh, really? That's because I really crazy. am hanging by a thread to that extent that any so you, gentle why'd you, breeze, send, why'd you send the Tonight Show, uh, uh, Michael, the, that your book to read? Well, I, I don't imagine he's going to read. That. Well, why don't we not? Why don't we not air this part of the episode and send Michael your book to read? I think that. Um, 
I so wait, so let me just finish. I cried at one part of the book. I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to ruin it for potential readers. I was that involved in the characters and um I really have read a lot despite what Noam with the, the impression that Noam likes to give about me and it really was um just so beautifully written and funny and heartfelt and it was just brilliant. I Iris really Spiro loved it. Iris Before COVID, available on Amazon. You can get free, three, four free chapters on Kindle. And Periel, I, I, I know you want me to read your book. Um, <laughs> no, but wait, it. let me say this, though. The other thing that I said to Dan was this book really is begging to be turned into a television series or a film. And that's where um, I really think that you should focus your attention and try to do that. And of course, also hire me to write on it. But um, I really think it's it would be just the most incredible TV show. Don't you agree, Noam? No, I feel like Michael Cox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't I don't know. I I think that. Um... The, the problem I saw, I think I mentioned this then, the problem I saw with turning it into a movie, the challenge, not a problem, the challenge is that so much of the most interesting parts of the book are internal dialogue, as I recall, as it's fading, I probably read it. And um, uh, situation comedies uh, depend largely on uh, like um, things that happen, narrative uh, events, which uh, there are fewer of. So, it would it would have it would take some ingenuity, but but if you could capture the spirit of the book on film, absolutely, I think it would be great because as Dan knows, and I, he knows I wasn't talking him, I, that book is one of the only books I've read in years that I did not put down. Yeah, I couldn't I put it down. I don't. I have. I wasn't able to put that book down. I don't think I've been like that since I read uh, um, uh, the World According to Garp back in like freshman in college or sophomore in college. Once again, Amazon.com, Iris Spiro before COVID. Yeah. I couldn't put it down either. Um, and, and I and, took it to Jamaica with me. And I just, it was, I was actually devastated when I finished it because I finished it in like the first two and a half days I was there. And I was taking it everywhere with me. Is that why your husband said, don't you have something else to read? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And uh, uh, Perry, I'll lay down the law and said, we have to read her book um, or one of her books. I told you to bring it in for me. You didn't. I, I didn't, but I will. Okay. I told you why I don't want to read her book. Shut I don't up. want to read about Perry L giving blowjobs and having sex and how I just don't want, I don't want to read that. Stuff. I don't know why. First of all, don't read it. Okay. Like you're not doing me any favors. Number one, don't read it. And I don't know why you're just like assuming that that's what the book is about. Like, don't dismiss my work as like this, like, just like. Because I judge a book by its cover. Okay. And and the name of the book is On My Knees and You're Naked on the cover. First of all, I am categorically not naked, number one. Well, you're scant, very, very, very scantily. Don't you have just like a book in front of your snatch or something? Like, what are you wearing? I snatch. Amazing. Um, That's my first book. That's the only bush I trust is my own. Um. Oh, okay in that I am naked on what what do you like the moral police now I'm just saying like why would I think this this is a dis disquisition on uh, something interesting like is it why well, it sounds like it's gonna be like a sex memoir 
Anyway, as I was saying, um, I really think that you should turn this into a. Well, we'll discuss that. I don't know. I mean, Judd Abadow has a copy of it. I don't. I don't think he's he's gotten to it. He he says that he he has it on his shelf. So, but you know, obviously, he's only one guy. Uh, Judd, you know, read the book, Judd. If, if you know anybody else that 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 uh, would take a look at it, that's you know, please uh, don't uh, hesitate to uh, forward it or let me know, and I'll reach out. Um, you know. And uh, then you'll skewer them on the show if they don't like it. No, no, I won't skewer them on the show if they don't like it, because uh, I just thought the Tonight Show thing was it. it ha First of all, it it it, it you know, uh, it, Dan, yeah, I, might skewer I, them. I think I don't think you're being fair to, to the Tonight Show. It, it is very it's uneasy is the head that wears the crown, Dan, or whatever it is. It, it's it's very, very difficult to be in charge and have to make decisions on a finite resource like minutes on a tonight show with a i mean how many comics do you think are trying to get on a tonight show hundreds at least good ones and um he's got you know uh, uh the, the, he's not the boss he has other people on top who are pressing in this direction that direction and you know it, it's it's it is absolutely a thankless task that he's got it's like Esty's job booking the the uh seller um I think you have to just take this in stride. That's all. The best, the best, the best revenge you can get is getting a spot on one of the other competitive shows and killing. Well, I hear what you're saying, and I thought about you should, that. You should do that without alienating them anyway. You know. Anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, I just um... you're allowed to be upset. Um, we also Look, I don't know. They're here. Our guests are here. You're allowed to be upset, but I, I agree with no. Well, well, send in your comments as to whether uh, I am justifiably my anger is righteous or misplaced. Um, um, I'm just happy you didn't tell everybody to write Michael Cox at the Tonight Show. No, I certainly did not do that. <laughs> that would have been really. <laughs> no, I'm not going to dox anybody. Or, um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. He, you know, it's it's a thankless job because he's going to have to reject people. I I just feel that this this was uh, a bit much now. And maybe he took he's taking orders from 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 Jimmy that says we want young people. We want Natterman um, never gets that spot. And I'll tell you why. Fresh voices. You know, maybe he could have said that in his email. Look, this is great stuff, but we're trying to break new people. And I don't know. But he doesn't need to tell you. That, he doesn't need honey. to. And he's I, not being an asshole because I didn't say I never that. said he was being an asshole. I said, you know, I, I never the word asshole never crossed my lips. But at some point, I think that a decision is is is, is it very okay, at the, the very problem least. Is that in some way, you're taking this personally. The point is that whatever you think about his judgment of this. All you're entitled to is his good faith judgment. And if you think and I'm giving my good faith judgment on his good faith judgment, right? But I'm saying like you're not entitled for him to see the tonight show in your way or that it should you have what you are entitled to to some extent is like that he'd not be doing it because he's playing favorites or or, or you know what? I'm not even I, I don't know, but like you're, you're entitled to his good faith judgment. And if you got his good faith judgment, then that's it. That's it. You got his good faith judgment. I'm at the age right now where my uh, high school teachers are starting to die on a regular basis. So that's very sad, but that's, well, you know, what can I tell you? It happens. It's a cycle of life, right? So, well, it is. And uh, Mr. Morales just died. Mr. Morales just died. He was our ninth grade health and sex education teacher. Ninth grade health and sex education. Actually, he was one of two health and sex education teachers we had that year because he got fired. 
Because he was inappropriate. I'll tell you what happened. He, he came to class one day. He said, class, today I'm going to demonstrate uh, how to put a condom on. That's why I have this banana with me, because uh, I can't get hard on an empty stomach. And... Uh, <laughs> and say what you will about Mr. Morales' teaching techniques. I remembered how to put a condom on. You know, I, I mean, some guy puts a condom on a banana. You might forget that, but you... You know, you, you don't forget a guy putting a condom on his rock-hard cock is what I'm getting at, you know? Especially when you're the one that got him hard, you know? Because, well, I, well, I was hoping for class participation credit, you know, is the thing, and, uh, and then he gets fired, I didn't get the credit, you know? So the, uh, but the new teacher comes along, I'm like, you know, I, I jerked the last guy off, I don't know if that transfers or not, you know? I, maybe you could write that down in the book, I don't know, but. Bring our guests on. Okay, our guests, hello. We have with us, yes, how do you do? This is Nick Marks, Associate Professor of Film and Media Studies in the Department of Communication Studies at Colorado State. And we have Matt Sinkowitz, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Associate That's Professor right. and Chair of the Boston College Communications Department in their well-timed book, That's Not Funny, How the Right Makes Comedy Work for Them. Professor Sinkowitz and Marks convincingly show how much political and cultural power the right wing Comedy world has gained. We typically see comedy as a left-wing phenomenon, but not so fast, say Sinkowitz and Marx in their new book. The left wing has their uh, their uh, their comedic. Uh, I started off such a good introduction, and then <laughs> but anyway, the comedian, the conservatives know how to do comedy too. So welcome, Marx and Sinkowitz, Nick Marx and Matt Sinkowitz. I know Noam really wanted to have you on the show. <laughs> Don't read into that that Dan didn't. It's just that I I, I was the, the one who, who heard about you guys first. So what is it? Oh, I see I see a, a yarmulke under there. Now I like it even more. Isn't that isn't Boston College a Catholic university? Very much so. Yeah. No, there's a few of us running around. They they they, they as long as we don't get too uh, too numerous, they let us stick around. Dan, you like him better now? No, well, first of all, no, I, I mean uh, generally speaking, most of my Jewish friends are of the reform variety. Really, my fa my father thought reform was worse than Christian. I, 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 your father, <laughs> your father, uh, never met a, a a shrimp he didn't like, or a or a a, a, a cheeseburger he didn't like. Yeah, well, let's get to the book. But but just just I guess for a second, that that was his point. My point, my my father's point was, if you believe, then friggin' believe, and if you don't believe, then don't believe. But don't massage the religions like it, it, it's some sort of, uh, you know, unrecognizable Christianized form of it. So you can have your cake and eat it too. That's the way he felt. So he didn't believe, so he didn't, he didn't practice, but, and he was fiercely, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, fiercely, well, you know, uh, then, then, okay. I hear what you're saying. And I'm using the word reform just to yeah. mean Jews like us. Yeah. But you're okay. meaning it. You're, you're using it to mean Jews that go to a reform temple. Yes. Yes. I'm yes. using it to mean Jews that don't do anything. Oh, well, that's not the right terminology. Okay. Anyway, okay. Anyhow. So, so the book, so, so not that long ago, the, the rap on right-wing humor is that right-wing uh, wasn't funny and uh, John Stewart was funny. And I remember mm -hmm. Dennis Miller, who I, you know, I thought was always very funny comedian, but then he would, he did a, like a starkly uh, political hour one time and it fell very, very flat. And the, and the, the, the take on the right was that, it, you know, the right's just not funny. And it was basically true. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it's totally flipped. The Babylon Bee is funny. Uh, um, all, also, all these kind of uh, iconoclastic Andrew Schultz and these people seem to be kind of right wing are funny. And the left 
um, doesn't even appreciate any humor anymore. So tell mm -hmm. us about it. How did it change? Am I correct? Go on. You guys go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're making an observation here, which seems pretty obvious that uh, people across the political spectrum can be funny. Uh, and that particularly given the way that media works, right, that uh, there's not just a couple of gatekeepers, right, that get to decide what goes on SNL and, you know, whatever few shows get on Comedy Central. Uh, but, you know, there's a whole world of podcasts, uh, you know, websites, uh, TV channels, more than you can count, streaming, all that. Uh, in that space, comedy from across the, the political spectrum uh, can exist and can uh, can thrive. Uh, and, you know, we we're to be honest, I mean, we're professors. So most people are going to read our books are going to be on the left. Uh, and what, you know, our, our number one thing we want to alert and say and just, you know, sort of put out there uh, is that sort of chauvinism that uh, that, uh, you know, uh, that a certain kind of politics can be funny and another kind uh, can't be successful with comedy just just isn't the case. So, you know, we lay out uh, people, you know, some of them, you name, we talk about the Babylon Bee. Uh, we talk about uh, Greg Gutfeld. We talk about uh, curious cases like a Joe Rogan, right, who's got a really complicated politics, but certainly brings on right wing voices. Uh, so the biggest thing we're trying to do is, is sort of dispel that notion that comedy has a political uh, alliance uh, allegiance uh, and then, uh, you know, sort of guide people through this world they might not know about. So uh, zooming out, zooming out from left and right. If you look at what was the, the people on the left who were funny and uh, came from a progressive point of view, like George Collin or whatever, and now the people on the right who are funny, what is the common denominator that makes people funny that now that the right used to not be able to manage and now the left is not being able to manage? There's got to be something in common between them, right? It's a, a great question. I think one of the common denominators is that they are workaholic comics who know the craft of writing a joke, performing it in front of a live audience, trying new material on air. They're not people who just hop on Twitter all day and sort of, you know, seek to rile people up. Although there is a pretty heavy element among some of the folks that we talk about. In large part, if you take a figure like George, Carl uh, George Carlin compared to someone like George Rogan, uh, sorry, Joe Rogan, and even contemporary liberal counterparts, uh, they're working comedians, right? They have an audience that they continually serve by touring, by going on podcasts, by crafting jokes, and not just by sort of doing the clapter thing, right? Ha ha, Mitch McConnell, you look weird. They know how to actually write a punchline. Dan, Dan what do you think uh, about this subject? Well, I think that conservatives have a bit of an obstacle to overcome. First of all, I think a lot of comics are conservative and they don't discuss it on stage. I mean, when I talk to them off stage, I, I you know, they're there. We have our we have our very, very liberal comics and we have our kind of politically centrist comics. And we have a lot that are a little bit to the right. But I think conservative conservatism has a bit of an obstacle because some some aspects of conservative conservatism, yeah, conservatism are inherently not funny inherently um, hard and painful truths. If indeed immigration has to be limited because we have limited resources or because society, there, you know, there have been studies to suggest that too much diversity erodes trust. Um, that may be true. It's also sad and upsetting. Um, and so, it, you know, uh, it, it becomes difficult to make jokes about these kinds of points of view that are that are conservative. 
Uh, if 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 people that you know, I mean, yeah, if we have to, um, you know, um, what else? Yeah, I mean, immigration in particular is is is. If we can't let everybody in that wants to come here because it's just not practical, it that's not funny. That's a sad truth, perhaps, but it's not funny. Well, I, I had an I had an observation. Maybe that maybe this is uh, some. Thing to worth thinking about, um, worth thinking about. I didn't had I'd had an observation a while ago that back in the '90s, the phrase politi "politically incorrect" was an extremely powerful marketing tool if you wanted to hook in a left wing audience. They were hungry for something called politically incorrect. Now, the right wing would be enticed by that slogan, I believe. I don't have any empirical data, but I believe that's true. Sure. The left is turned off at this point by the um, idea of something being politically incorrect, puncturing norms, things like that, things you're not supposed to say. The left has never been more concerned in anybody's lifetime about people not saying the things they're not supposed to say. Isn't, isn't that part of the reason that the, the funny has kind of moved from one side to the other? Because it, one side is now well you, you get the point I, I, yeah no i mean yeah for, for sure I, I mean um you know part of part of what we are driving at i think is is not too far from that point uh that there you know and look you can't paint with a with, with too broad a brush right there the when you when you say the left that's a big space and there are places on the left that are are adventurous and are willing to push boundaries uh but that sort of center left space that has tended to dominate the comedy world again think of the big institutions i don't know the snls or the uh you know back when the daily show mattered that kind of thing right they were uh they that that, that center left uh, space has uh, become a place that is more risk averse. I think there's no there's no question about that, right? Uh, and you know a lot of that comes from reasonably good instincts about you know, aiming towards inclusivity and these kinds of things. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, risk aversion is death to comedy, right? right? If you're if you're if you're not willing to cross boundary, I mean, all all comedy is some kind of violation. Right. I mean, there's question about uh, how that violation has to be framed to be funny, but you got to be willing to violate something. Right. And I do think that, uh, you know, the the uh, as comedy is mainstreamed and maybe become, uh, uh, you know, sort of associated or certain parts of the, of the comedic landscape got really heavily associated with the Democratic Party. I think of people like Jon Stewart sort of uh, becoming sort of the leader of the Democratic Party in some sense in the early 2000s, sort of holding rallies on, you know, the Capitol lawn, these kinds of things. Uh, there's a certain risk aversion that came with that. And, and you know, whether or not you enjoy these comedians on the right, uh, they don't have the old school National Review risk aversion. Right. Uh, that that notion of conservatism is not what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, right wing comedy, we're talking about people who do embrace uh, breaking norms, you know, sometimes in ways that, uh, uh, you know, bring out uh, all kinds of funny possibilities, sometimes that are going to be super offensive and it becomes a matter of sort of taste. But I do think that question of risk aversion has shifted and that center left institutions have become increasingly risk averse and that that hurts the possibility for comedy for sure. What are the what are the, the like would you say the top five uh, themes of right wing comedy at this point? In terms of like joke, like like joke yeah. themes, like, like yeah, I, like, yeah, like, yeah, sure. What percentage is just making fun of wokeness? Like yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's a great well, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can name five off the top Literally. of my head, but yeah. but I will say the the thing that unites we we cover a range of of right wing comedians in the book. So mainstream folks like Greg Gutfeld and Jesse Waters on Fox News. Uh, Joe Rogan, 
the Babylon. They're not, they're not comedians, right? They're they're funny personalities. They're not. Right. They're not no, they're, 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 no, they're not comedians. They're doing They're doing shows yeah. they want to brand as comedy. But yeah, they're not. They're not stand up. Certainly. Okay. I'll, I'll say the thing that kind of unites this vast range of right wing comedians is a collective uh, sort of political, ideological, and cultural enemy. The the libs, right? A lot of that comedy seeks to sort of take as a punching bag. Yeah, many of the elements that you might name wokeness and political correctness on the left, they might not always agree on specific issues like some of the identity based things, trans and gay rights, but they are uh, more often than not united behind an effort that will make Nancy Pelosi look bad or, or feel bad, right? Or make some member of the, the K-Hive come after them on Twitter if they go after one of their favorite politicians. What's the K-Hive? <laughs> That's the group of folks online who are very supportive of our current vice president, Kamala Harris. Oh, the K is for Kamala. I know. You know I, never I, heard, I, guess, so. I heard that expression. I'm so well, sorry only, that I had only, to introduce that. The only really right wing stand up that I can name is Nick DiPaolo. Hmm? The, the only right wing, like the, these other people they mentioned are not stand ups, as you had said. Yeah. Well, Nick some... DiPaolo is really the only one. Maybe, maybe Andrew Schultz a little bit. Well, said. Andrew Schultz, I mean, I'm about to say, you know, I'd say that right wing is not the most accurate phrase to, to, to best describe what we're seeing. I think it's more libertarian and yeah. it may even be old left in, in a certain sense. Like, hmm. I don't know what Dave, Dave Chappelle certainly would not describe himself as right wing. No. And yet he's uh, he's making a lot of jokes that are music to the ears of right of center people. Yeah, I mean, there's look there, for sure. I think that the most common political, uh, you know, box that would get ticked for the people we write about probably is sort of libertarian, uh, heavy towards the free market stuff, heavy towards the free expression stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, you also you know Babylon B, for example, which comes from a very avowedly uh, evangelical Christian perspective, you know, ties right into that world. Um, you know, you get people like uh, I mean, we talk about some kind of wacky characters, people like uh, Bronze Age pervert and these like sort of very Trumpy, uh, uh, like like very nationalist kinds of types that, that tie into that world too, who, who are not libertarian. They're sort of like, I don't know, paleo or like old school kind of uh, uh, nationalist, uh, very, very sort of uh, unusual worldviews. I mean, I think it's a good point that stand-up is not the place where this this thrives best, right? The, the and, and we are constantly referring to in this book the way in which uh, it's really sort of the, the way that, that new media works, the, the sort of the way that algorithms line up a feed on a, on a Facebook or a Twitter or, or wherever else uh, that puts together people from, you know, yeah, that libertarian space, but the places around it uh, and sort of puts them together. You, you know, so the, the, I, can I interrupt you for a second? Please, yeah. yeah. The, the, it can't be emphasized enough that the censorious center for my whole lifetime was the right. So if you think of the, you think of the uh, movie Animal House, yeah. Dean Wormer or any Dean Wormer type <laughs> yeah. character was a sure. stodgy right winger. But yeah. if, you were, if you were to make Animal House today, he could totally be the uh, an uptight left wing woke whatever. That, the, the, that the diversity be, and inclusion person could play yeah, that. Yeah, that, yeah that no, would that's be true. The Dean Wormer of today, the old Dean Wormer character, I mean, might not even reverberate with many people anymore. And that. But that was the natural target of comedy. And I, I just think that that's, there's, that's really, it's a simple explanation, but I think there's a whole lot to that. You, you want to get under the skin of the people who don't want you to say certain things. And who is that, right? Now, I have to say, Periel is not going to believe this. 
like I've been hearing a lot of jokes lately about this, these uh, laws that want to that that replace um, women or mothers with birthing people. Have you heard this? And you're not gonna believe this, Periel. No. <laughs> I have a little sympathy for the birthing people. <laughs> I, I don't like. I, there's something. There's something mean about it. I mean, I'm I'm so unwoke. What, what part of this am I not going to believe? <laughs> you cannot believe it. I'm saying it. Ugh. No, you have sympathy for those that want to use the term birthing people. Yes, I actually do. I I think that um, I, I say I'm, I'm so unwoke, and I and I disagree with them. And most importantly, I I stand against. I despise the way they you know try to control what we think and almost like in a fascist like way. They they want to control what we're allowed to talk about, and they want to, they want consequences. They want accountability. They want to ruin people's mm. lives if they say I I'm, I'm all that. But on the other hand. You know, kindness, forbearance, respect, small acts of respect kind of create a, a groove of thinking and a structure that lead to a, um, a society that uh, is civil. And, and lack of respect is, you know, is a building block of hatred and bigotry. So, you know, what's, what's so terrible? On you. What's so terrible <laughs> about, look, look, put it this way. We all snicker, right? But if, if any of us had a transgender or a non-binary child, all of a sudden we'd see the world differently. All of a sudden we look at the world and worry about our child. And what, what can the world do to allow our child a more fulfilling life? And uh, what changes would I like to see to make my child happier? And a little thing like, you know, in the laws, using terms which seem a little weird, it's not the end of the world. On the other hand, I will say that if you are a member of a tiny population, you can't expect the whole world to just turn itself upside down to accommodate you. If you're, can't think of a better example, if you're born with six fingers, you can't walk into a glove store and, and say, uh, well, you, you know, pretend, well, how come you didn't ask me if I wanted a six finger glove? Like, you know, you, you, have, to get, you have to be reasonable. I don't expect, I don't like that Disney is not saying boys and girls anymore. If you have a non-binary little child, they will have to get used to the fact that overwhelmingly, I mean, overwhelmingly, the, the world breaks down into little boys and little girls. So I'm not going that far. But in ways that don't hurt anybody, well, I do well, find well. myself saying, well, okay, it's kind of nice. I don't, I'm not, I'm not outraged, but they, I mean, these comedians go to town on this, right? Uh, all right, I'm off, I'm, I'm really digressing, well, but it was, it was one of my shower thoughts today, go ahead. Well, well, I mean, you asked what sort of the main uh, targets of the jokes are or whatever. I mean, that that is the, the, the these sort of definitional issues, right? These things yeah. where uh, the liberal world has an instinct, which I think is what you described, sort of trying to be sensitive, trying to be uh, understanding of, of people uh, in different situations. Uh, but yet language doesn't quite work with it right it's it's really hard to come up with a language system that that you know a gets rid of like you know thousands of years of language and b accommodates everybody right that, that is the most probably the most common thing we see in, in right-wing humor that connects is uh, finding these inconsistencies and sort of taking them to extremes or using analogies <clears throat> comparing uh, uh, trans athletes to uh you know bicyclists who want to ride motorcycles like this kind of thing or basically like language jokes right uh you know that that find the the absurdity in trying to do that perfectly right in trying to to make everybody happy with that well the, the trans athlete thing is a perfect example because 
I mean, Perel's going to object to this. I mean, Perel is internally objecting to all of this, but that's what I, I thought. I thought you'd agree with everything I just said about the birthing people. Well, I don't. First of all, I don't think that you have to have a trans or non-binary child in order to adopt that position. I mean, is I that think what that, you thought I said? No, it's not. <laughs> OK, it's not what I think you said. It's what I'm saying. But what I was saying is that people who feel this way should stop for a second and just imagine the shoe on the other foot, if they did have a child that was facing this uphill battle in life, yeah, of course. they would then be getting, they would then probably not laugh at these things quite as easily. They say to yourself, they say to themselves, you know, maybe it would be nice for my child. And what's the big deal, right? Anyway, but uh, uh, go ahead, Pearl, sorry. Well, I think that by and large, the problem is that there is a really serious lack of understanding and respect for those people like they don't they're not even acknowledged. And like, what is the big fucking deal to be more inclusive, to have a, a gender neutral bathroom or to include more words? I don't think the language is hard. I think it's hard for people who don't want to be open to it. But I mean, I think that it's been introduced into the culture and into the world. Um, uh, all right, you can, you, you can, I, 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 I already regret my, my softness. You've convinced me that I was wrong. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because, because obviously you, you understand that at some point, just because something exists in a small number in nature, you don't expect everybody just to, to, uh, I mean, how, I mean, you could get a little absurd about that. Like how, what number of people need to have a particular thing before you want to change the language to accommodate them? That's not, that's not an easy answer. But let me just say one other thing. This, as opposed to what I've just described, I think there's almost, there's virtually nobody I've met when pressed who thinks it was actually just fair to think of the transgender athlete just wiping the floor with uh you know a biologic biologically female swimmers and that is such fertile ground for humor because even people who will publicly refuse to admit they feel that way they will involuntarily laugh at the involuntarily laugh at these jokes because everybody deep down knows something is not right here that all of a sudden people are finding a new gender and just destroying the competition of the previous gender. Uh, so you agree with, I mean, Peril, you always, you always dug in on this, but you're beginning to agree with that, no? I mean, we haven't seen any athletes, transgender male athletes winning gold medals, right? And clearly there's something going on here. And of course, this is what humor attacks. Right, I think that that is safe ground for humor. I think yeah. unsafe yeah. ground for humor would be you know, Noam, you mentioned on this podcast several times, it's statistically, and I hate, you know, I don't even like talking about it, but statistically there's, there were, there were white people that got shot by cops. There are white people that got shot by cops too. And that right. statistically, um, you know, there's reason to believe that the police do not shoot or kill black suspects out of proportion. The data show, as far as we know, this is data by black economists that um, that, that killing is not statistically dis uh, a statistical disparity. However, day-to-day -day brutality is uh, a disparity. So just to be clear, the actual killing of, um, especially of, of innocent people, 
doesn't really skew by race, but the day-to-day manhandling and various humiliations does. So go ahead. That's, so, that's, so yeah. okay. So the fact that killing, at least according to the data you cited, doesn't, yeah, is not, you know, is not disproportionately against people of color. That to me is a subject, I mean, you, you couldn't joke about it. You could joke about, and comics do joke about black uh, police officers killing black suspects. They're, I could name comics that have jokes about that. About but killing black suspects? Yes, like about how being black and the cops shoot us and, you know. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not joking about the event, they're joking yeah. about. They're joking uh, about the concept. Yeah, yeah. no, but, the, but the, the, the brunt of the joke is the cops, not the black right. people being shot. Yeah, but, but if you then made the brunt of the joke, people that believe bogus statistics, <laughs> you wouldn't I get laugh. away with it. Yeah, yeah. It, what do you guys think? It's a subject that's just, forget it. it I mean, you, can't, you can joke about a trans <laughs> athlete, that can be done, but you can't, you're not going to be joked. There's certain things, forget it. You are not going to get a laugh, except maybe with a certain group of people, very limited. Go, going back to a, a point that Matt raised earlier, that uh, whether it's right or left, all humor has some violation at the core of it, that the audience has to be unexpected and kind of jolted out of their uh, sort of status quo mindset. And you're, you're, what you've described there are two places that absolutely left liberal comedians aren't willing to, to go anymore. Some for very good reasons, maybe some for, for bad faith reasons that now is being occupied by right-wing comedians. And so we, that, that's kind of a, a central theme of the book over and over is that the, the left is kind of operating on this uh, self-censoriousness where the right-wing is the ones now kind of pushing, pushing, pushing against whatever the controversial topic of the day is and at least willing to joke about it. Now, are you gentlemen tenured professors? We are. We are, yeah. Okay. We are. So you can speak a little more freely. What uh, what is it like being uh, professors who um, I'm assuming don't toe the line on uh, the the ideas of the day when it comes to wokeness and stuff like that? You guys get mm. a lot of flack. You're worried. To, uh, do, do your do your students object? But do we to, do we know that they don't toe the line, or are they just? Yeah, no, we no. can clarify. We can. We, I mean, I'm happy yeah, to. Please, yeah. Please. So you know, um, like there's different kinds of towing the line, right? Uh, the thing that we uh, are not doing, we are not towing the line quite clearly. And you know, we have some people who uh, you know don't they subtweet us a lot uh, is simply acknowledging uh, uh, the idea that uh, that uh, something on the right can be uh, can be successful in terms of comedy. That that can uh, it should be called comedy. I mean, that might sound like. That might sound ridiculous. I don't know. Talking to comedians, right, uh, that there would be some sort of political test for comedy. But the reality is in a lot of comedy scholarship, that also might sound ridiculous. I don't know if the idea of comedy scholarship sounds ridiculous or not. Uh, but in that space, there there is a, an idea that uh, uh, there's a political test for comedy. So that's the first point in which we, we, we don't toe the line. Um, you know, in terms of uh, our own uh, politics, I mean, we're, we're liberal. Roles, uh, broadly speaking, uh, but we're people who are interested in really understanding the breadth of things, right? And uh, and not trying to. Uh, uh, one thing that uh, the book clearly doesn't go for is the idea that if you don't like something, you should you should hide it, you should you should ignore it and put it to the side. And so there's there's a certain extent to which, yeah, you give. I mean, I've given students, uh, you know, uh, 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 like a chapter from the book that we wrote about the Babylon Bee or something, right? Which has got various right-wing perspectives in it. Uh, and the, the most common response I get from it is like, I thought it was so funny. And then I realized it was wrong, right? Oh. Then, I, then I realized that like, oh, wait, wait a minute. It's coming from a different perspective. 
Right. And as a as an educator, right, that's good uh, as far as I'm concerned. Right. That really makes you kind of question where you're coming from. Uh, what does funny mean to you? That sort of thing. So to, to that extent, I mean, I, I'm not worried about getting in trouble by any stretch, but like we, we ruffle some feathers with it. No question. Uh, what do you guys think, uh, uh, Professor Mark? You want to add to that? No. Uh, what do you guys think? Just because it's related, I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. What do you think about uh, what do you think is going to happen with Elon Musk if it comes if the deal closes and he takes yeah. over Twitter? What kind of change is that going to have, make? I am going to give a very boring and short answer and say absolutely nothing significant. I think everybody who's been posting is going to continue posting. They might threaten to leave. They might do X, Y, and Z, but that website and ones like it are too powerful and entrenched in how we conduct our day-to-day lives as like media people that I don't see any sort of radical change coming down. If anything, it'll be more maybe commercialized and like financialized because that's just who he is. But all the sort of micro issues of like cancellation and censoring people, I just kind of shrug at the end of the day. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. No, one point we made, uh, I think a week ago or two weeks ago is is how people are pretty much saying what they want already on yeah. Twitter. And it's just amazing what people are saying. <laughs> and, and somebody else made, made the who, somebody made the point also that Twitter, you know, a lot of Twitter is not in English and and the censors right. can't even censor it. They don't have enough manpower to that 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 are that are uh, that speak these other languages. So Twitter's already well, kind of a free for all. Well, here, here's the, here's like some easy questions. Do you think do you think uh, Trump will be allowed back on Twitter? Mm. Let's hope not. I think he has to. I don't. I don't see how Elon Musk could. I thought. I thought I read that he should not let the former president. That's a simple, tough question. I mean, gosh, yeah. Uh, uh, Probably yes. I don't. What do you think, Nick? That's a great question. I I mean, I think that's a stumper, right? Whether whether Musk actually goes through with the deal and keeps it, I I think we're going to see Trump back on Twitter eventually. He's too. Whatever you think of him and his politics, I I don't like them and him but he is going to be the Republican nominee for president in two years. He's, I don't think so, but go ahead. That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think you can keep him away for very long. Right. And the, the commercial motive there is also yeah. obviously pretty intense. I mean, I think there's a lot of sentiment also. Uh, I don't know if it's right or not, but I mean, I think uh, in the left, in the left world that, uh, that keeping him off empowers him in some way and sort of empowers his narrative in, in, in ways that uh, protects him from himself. It protects yeah. him. Yeah, right. It's another way. How so, is Twitter? The, the offer was forty-four billion dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's more than you would pay for Delta Airlines. How mm. the fuck is Twitter making this kind of money? They're not. They're not. Oh, they're not. Oh, they're not. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. How are they worth forty-four billion dollars? Musk. Well, Musk. First of all, Musk wants it. Yeah. I mean, when you have that kind of money, what do you care? And then, and then he he probably thinks he can, and he probably can figure out ways to monetize it better but you know nothing's a short thing we saw cnn plus crash and burn from the smartest people in that industry so anybody can can blow it but and what about isn't the babylon b thrown off twitter they're they're on and off periodically they're, but no, they're on now aren't they what's oh, the gosh. rule what gets I you kicked were, off though like I how, they were kicked off well, they, they get demonetized off of things all the time, right? Like Facebook constantly is, is taking their uh, posts and demonetizing or, or shutting them down. I, we should check. I mean, I'm, I'm not familiar with them being currently off. I mean, look, the, the Babylon Bee's business model primarily at this point is saying that they've been canceled and raising money off of that. 
So like, I, I, I mean, I assume their account is up in, on, on Twitter yeah, right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they, but, but what the fact that you asked the question is really indicative, right? Like that is a big part of what that, what that website does uh, is take its comedy and turn it into a, 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 a different sort of political good. Right. Like uh, not just the politics of the jokes or whatever, but that, you know, you are somehow part of a political fight by supporting their their whatever jokes. Right. Uh, um, uh, they, they we write about this extensively in the book, like th- there's there are little grains of truth to the idea that the Babylon Bee gets uh, like over uh, watchdogged. And like sometimes they'll make a joke, which is like absolutely clearly, obviously a joke. Any idiot would know it's a joke. And nonetheless, it gets tagged as misinformation and demonetized. But like there's a little bit of that. And then they talk about it to to make it seem like it's sort of constantly happening, Um, which is part of the sales pitch of a lot of comedy on, on, you know, very certain parts of the right. Right. Is not just uh, crossing boundaries, but then like really making a show of it. Uh, really making that part of their identity that they cross those boundaries, even if it's, you know, in the case of Babylon B, I think of limited truth. I, I um, think what people on the left. Update, yeah. It looks like um, he bought it. No. Yeah, it was, it was, right. Yeah. yeah. We know that. No, I think I read that a few hours ago. I don't no, know how. 15 how we're discussing ago it. from the New York Times. Well, what did it say? Uh, I mean, Elon it... Musk and Twitter reach $44 billion deal. Ariel, we know yeah. this. This is why I asked the question. Oh, you knew that already? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were asking what's going to happen if it goes through. What hasn't gone through? If it closes, yeah. 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 I I think there'll be a process where it needs to close. Do you see what I go through here? (laughs) Please Um, stick around uh, to see what I go through. (laughs) And and now I forget what I want. Oh, oh, but listen, there there is a fact of life that I think that. people have to accept, which is that uh, when people who feel strongly about a political point of view are in charge of something and have the power to make decisions about things, no matter what they think they're going to do, they end up uh, with a heavy hand. And then each time they do it, it becomes habitual and they become inured to it and it gets worse and worse. So we did see Twitter do some really terrible things this hunter biden laptop story and banning the new york post this is crazy and the people who can't see how terrible it was terrible it was they only can't see it because it wasn't um uh, donald trump jr's laptop in which case they'd see it in a half a instant that of course this was a huge story for people who thought it was a huge story i like i don't really care about his laptop but but i understand that you know, the, you know, that, General Mills only has a market cap of forty three billion. All right. So um, <laughs> they, make, they make stuff billion. that you can buy. Yeah. Similarly, Adidas uh, forty two. How the fuck is Twitter forty four billion dollars? <laughs> it's the stock market. Then. Similarly, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the Wuhan, the Wuhan, the, the, the China um, virus theory. Or what, what, what's it? What do you call the, 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 the lab, lab leak? Lab leak. Lab leak. Yeah. Um, they banned that. Right. This is and and it's not an accident they banned that. So if if Musk could simply stop those clearly political decisions and leave in place the 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 app the the obvious hate speech restrictions and the obvious doxing restrictions and and stuff like that, I think he'd be onto something. I don't know. Do Do you think he can limit? I mean, you said yourself before. Once 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 you start making those distinctions, there's mission creep, right? I mean, 
would that not, is there a reason that doesn't apply to Elon Musk is my question for you. Yeah. I, I think he's, I think I could do it too. I think there's a certain people who really no, because I really <laughs> believe in that stuff. Comedy seller more. enterprises, $22 billion. Yeah. I believe in that stuff much more than I care. I, I am able, maybe I'm unique in this way, but I, I really am able to separate that stuff. I could easily, mm. easily, as a matter of fact, I enjoy it. I think that's what it is. I think the left is actually offended by these things. But when I when I read something that's like outrageous, I'm like, oh, that's great. Let's get them on the show. Let's talk about it. Let's argue about it. I, I don't have that instinct to want to see it uh, buried. You just, you just need, and I, and I think that's where Musk is coming from. I don't really know what his politics are. I don't think he's anti, you know, I don't think he's pro-racism. Right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we'll he's, out. he's pretty uh, along the lines of the sort of libertarian Joe Rogan acolyte type uh, personality that, uh, you know, he's, he lives in Austin now, tax-free states where Rogan lives and, um, I don't know that he has like a political party affiliation as much as he has like a, I'm a rich guy, leave me the fuck alone and let me do what I want kind of ideology. I Of all the people in the hundred plus billion club, do you think Elon Musk is most deserving, if that word has any meaning whatsoever, <laughs> uh, of his- No, well, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos is. Uh, you think it's Jeff Bezos? Bezos. I, I, personally don't think any single human <laughs> should own or deserve that amount of money, but call me crazy. Well, your name no, is I Mark. So no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, Jeff, uh, listen, that's, that's, we can, this is interesting, but the thing about that is Jeff Bezos started by delivering items from the back of his tr trunk of his car. Right. And, and I remember ordering from Amazon at that time and he built it up. He, 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 uh, plowed every single dollar he made back into that company operating at a loss for years and years and years and years and now he's at the point where i understand what you're saying that nobody should have that kind of wealth but to to say that you'd have to then say that he has no right to make any percent of a cent on on any additional item that he sells and that's not really tenable if he sells another book we can't tell him you you have to do that on us, you know, like or on on you. Like you, you, he has a right to make some profit on every item that he sells. Otherwise, I I don't. That's almost I don't know what you wouldn't call it slavery, but there's something con, con, confiscatory about it. Does he have an I, obligation to pay his workers more? Th that's that's another question. So, um, and. You know, as as globalism happens and markets become huge, when a when a store owner used to be able to sell to a few thousand people in his neighborhood and now he can sell to a few billion people, you are going to have this kind of crazy wealth. And we haven't really figured out how to handle that. But I would say that before we before we say it's a bad thing, we should do the thought experiment of what if every billionaire not living in America were to move to America? I think that would be good for America and would also increase the wealth gap, right? So it's not clear to me how it all pans out. But so anyway, I, I just think these are very complex issues. Uh, so, I, but anyway, I would say Jeff Bezos. And if you think about the good that Amazon did during the pandemic, 
I mean, the, the, the ability that these technologies, especially Amazon, allowed us to, to get through this pandemic with things delivered to our doorstep that we needed. This is a tremendous thing that he's done um, for the good. Uh, so I, I'm, you know, if he makes ridiculous money and gives it to charity or whatever, it, I, I think we're, we're, con- we're focusing on the wrong thing. Anyway, that's my particular take on it. I'm sure anybody named Marx will. <laughs> oh, I remember. So I tell you what it is about this, the censorship thing. So this is not Twitter, it's Facebook, but if Professor Sinkowitz will, maybe I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, indulge in stereotypes and assume that he's going to care about this. I on Facebook <laughs> simply posted, I was annoyed that Chuck Schumer was silent during the last Gaza war in Israel, did not say a single word about it. So I posted on Facebook his tweets, one of his tweets, only one tweet from the previous Gaza war, where he said something to the effect of anybody who finds a moral equivalency between Hamas and the state of Israel is blah, 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 you know, something. And I posted that on my Facebook and Facebook made me take it down. Hmm. They, they tell me it violated some sort of community standard or something like that. I had no comment on it. It was just Schumer's tweet. And their bot or their AI, whatever it is, flagged this, took it down. I appealed it and it remained down. Yeah. So wake up, everybody. It is, it is a real issue. I mean, that is a real issue. All I did was t- uh, post a United States senator's tweet. Hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no rhyme or reason. It's, you know, it's always anecdotal. I, mean, I totally believe your anecdote. And there, there's oh, I can send of, it to you. I can yeah, send yeah, it. yeah. I'm not saying when I, I say by anecdotal, I don't mean questionable. I just mean, yeah. like, you get these like little examples and you, you see uh, particularly around anti-Semitism. You do see in, insane stuff that that gets posted uh, and gets, you know, reported. And then the the thing comes back and says it didn't violate standards. I mean, you know, by and large, you, you said it right. There's some sort of bot. I mean, much of that process is automated and I don't know what it takes and they're not going to let you know what it takes to get it up to a human being or an individual, but it's not getting to somebody who understands these issues. I mean, I think that's, that's I think a lot of it's, it is automated. So there's a key word in yeah. there and, and you could appeal it. You could appeal it, I think. Right. But case. he's saying he's saying he did appeal it and it didn't come back. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it, associated with, with this or that through some sort of algorithm. I, for sure. I mean, the the lack of transparency on it is is maddening. Um, and I mean, the I would say you, you can you can sort of find people from like a, a wide range of positions on an issue complaining about this sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, what comes across my desk very often are, you know, uh, outrageous anti-Semitic stuff that's being posted in the context sometimes of Israel things, sometimes just I don't know, other stuff uh, that doesn't violate community standards, these kinds of things. It certainly erodes trust in this platform. I mean, there's no question. And maybe that's a, a good thing. Um, but uh, with these massive, massive platforms where you have the, this incredible amount of data going second by second, uh, you know, you can't possibly get that to be accurate and consistent with these issues. The, is the it, question is, is ching ching sound. No, is that that was here last week. Is that from you? <laughs> is that a tip for me? <laughs> It's uh, you know, like I'm, oh. I'm, I'm a little harder hearing because all the years I was playing um, music, loud music, and I tried to find uh, something's coming up, and I tried to find, I sampled like a hundred different text message notification sounds to pick out which one had the frequencies that I could hear the most easily, like if it's in my pocket or something, mm-hmm. and it turned out. I don't know if it's because of the frequencies or just my association. It turned out to be a cash register. <laughs> <laughs> no Jewish I, I, jokes, please. I'm, I'm, I'm reporting you for anti-Semitism. But <laughs> care, so. 
So that that's really the reason I have that. I should probably change it. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are you're, you're great. Dan, Dan, introduce the book one more time. Or what, what, maybe you guys should plug it. Go ahead, plug the book. Okay, let me just, yeah. I have to get the title right here. The, yeah, the, the book is called uh, That's Not Funny, How the Right Makes Comedy Work for Them. It's out on May 3rd. You can pre-order now at all the, the places where you order books, including Amazon, which <laughs> I'll, make, I'll make an exception for. Is there, a, is there a, that's right. Is there a Kindle edition? There is. There yeah. is, yeah. I only yeah, read it's... Kindle nowadays, unless I have no choice. I prefer, you know what I like to, I read on my phone because, for example, say I'm, I'm eating at a restaurant. I can hold the phone in one hand and eat with the other. Why are you yeah. reading? It's just because like porn, but for reading. <laughs> why, why, why a book requires two hands? Yeah, we get it. Uh, I'm saying that, so that is not the best that. thing about a Kindle. The best thing about a Kindle is that you can now your professors, you probably don't ever do this, but you can look up the word instantly while you're reading it if you don't know what the word means. And I oh. find that has changed my life. Like I used to skip over words or get the wrong impression mm. of what they meant. I'm trying desperately to get my kids to get in the habit of just looking up every word that uh. they don't know the meaning to. And by the way, if you really know your Kindle, it also keeps track of every word that you do that with. So that, and then it has a thing where you can quiz yourself on the words that you've looked up over time. So wow. how can you begrudge this guy money? <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a fantastic invention. Well, I mean, what do you think about Amazon? I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's devastated local bookstores. Yeah, it's you, horrible. Yeah. And oh, you might on. say, well, that's capitalism. And aren't like, they're like workers like sitting there in like actual fucking diapers. They're not allowed to take like pee breaks. It's like Jeff Bezos has enough money, okay? It's like, we get it. It's brilliant. You're a genius. You figured out this whole thing. Like, great. But well, like, first what of all, as far as the workers, let's just let's just all acknowledge that there's never been uh, uh, more jobs that were unfilled than there are now. And, you know, the workers jobs. are book, books. Well, bookstores workers are not, it's not exactly a high-skilled job. There's kids and stuff. So I'm saying that, you know, that is capitalism. This, this industry wanes and this industry grows it seems to me we have more jobs than ever as far as the diaper thing that was disturbing to read but yet um there are all sorts of federal laws up the wazoo about what you can and can't do have workers do and amazon except for this one instance uh, in queens wherever it was or i forget where it was uh they seem to turn down unions so i would take these isolated reports with a grain of salt i don't know that amazon workers are that unhappy. I don't. But maybe. I mean, I think that's a different issue like altogether. If, listen, widely I, reported. I, I will tell you this. If you want to know where the worst treated workers are, it is not at places like Amazon. It is at little, little businesses that have that are under the radar, like if like like a, like a bodega or something where they have some immigrant working in the basement, peeling potatoes or vegetables for 20 hours. And, and he's maybe he's illegal. This is when you are a high profile, like Amazon, you are so motivated to treat your employees in a way that can't ruin you as opposed to a diner off a highway in Idaho, where the boss has his way with every employee and every waitress and whatever it is. So, I don't don't whatever is going wrong in Amazon. Don't assume that the small business is where the workers are safe. That's a that's probably not the case. Anyway, both be bad, though, right? 
They can yeah. both be bad. But 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 the thing is that the 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 huge high-profile business like Amazon can only be bad for so long because somebody drops a dime and the whole world goes crazy about it. They'll even pass legislation about it in the, if Amazon does it. You try getting that kind of attention if you work, you know, it's, it's some small business. But I don't, I have a feeling the employees at Amazon are, I don't know, like, I don't know. What do we worry about? Worry about Amazon? Or you worry about the place where these Amazon goods are manufactured in China? Both. Is it, why is, why is it mutually exclusive? Why well, can't it because, because obviously the, the treatment there in China the cash is register. <laughs> perfectly timed incident. Because the treatment in China is a, in a, of a of a difference in kind, so much worse, so much worse than what's going on on Amazon. They have nets, right? The nets outside the windows, people jumping out the windows. No, so, is that true? Listen, Prariel, yeah. the day you don't, the day you put down your iPhone and say, "I don't feel good about this," because who had to make it? I will take this this stuff. Uh, more seriously. All right. Anyway, anything else? Uh, I guess that's it. Uh, thank you. Wait, where can we find you guys? Where can everybody find you or just buy the book? You tweet. Do you, uh, what do you do? Yeah, we, uh, well, you just buy the book. That's definitely better. <laughs> and and the, be the best thing about Kindle is that it's just pure profit, like right? You don't, have to, you don't have to, yeah. Am I detecting a Canadian accent of any kind? Boston. Boston. Okay. Uh, okay you talk, the best thing about Kindle is, it's pure profit to like you. The, the, well, not to me. We make nothing, but like for, for Amazon or, or whatever, right? Like this, you're selling a book without someone without printing a book, right? Oh. Like this is this is the true brilliance of it, right? Is that the, you sell the same product over and over and over again. Anyway, so buy the Kindle edition. That's great. Um, okay. Where to find us? We can do that. Uh, Twitter. I'm, I'm at Media Studied. And I'm uh, at Mark's Nick. And by the way, Dan has a book out also on Kindle. It's called Ira COVID after Ira Spiro after COVID. No, before yeah. COVID, before COVID. Before COVID. <laughs> oh, the, the, the sequel is after COVID. Ira Spiro before COVID. And you guys should read it. It's great. It's uh, it, it really is great. He well, if you're novel. into the comedy, you know, world, uh, then I would recommend it in particular. And Periel has books too. All right. On that note, uh, thank you guys very, very much for Periel's books are not available on Kindle. Thank you very, very much for coming. Are, are you doing an audio book? Hope so. I believe we, we my books no. are. All right, thank you. For us or, or Perry. Maybe you should get Dan to do the audio book for you. He has a, he has a very distinctive voice and he's a. He's Put a him on the player. list. Yeah. yeah. If there's. Yeah. If, oh, no, not again, Dan. You're getting rejected again. <laughs> I'll call you in six months. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still a, waiting on that. So we, we don't have audio from our, yet. From our first segment of our show before you guys got here. Podcast <laughs> at comedyseller.com for comments, questions, suggestions. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Right, thank you, guys. Bye.